in episode five of Teaching in Higher Ed, what this Trader Joe's sign teaches us about professional development. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. This is Bonnie Stahoviak, and once again, I am joined by Dave Stahoviak. I'm glad to be back. Hello. And for listeners, which we hope all of you are future listeners, I do plan on having some guests. In fact, I have my first guest semi-booked. So Dave, we have loved having you here and plan on continuing to regularly have you because you're good. I'm not getting permanently booted. No, you're not getting permanently booted. So glad to hear that. And if anyone listening has ideas for suggestions for guests or would like to be a guest yourself, would love to hear from you. Today, we are talking about what this Trader Joe's sign teaches us about professional development. And so we should start by talking about this sign. So Dave and I, we don't normally grocery shop together. Usually Dave goes on his own with our son, Luke, and Hannah and I stay home and relax. But this time I was with you. I don't remember why, but it's not important. We were all there together yeah. at Trader Joe's at the best place at spot in Trader Joe's, which is the sample station. Yeah. And at the sample station, I noticed they have what appears to be a drink dispenser of some time, although some type, although I'm not entirely positive that's what it is, but it looks like a drink. In fact, I'm seeing in the picture behind the drink dispenser, drink. So I'm I'm starting to really feel a lot even more confident. This is a drink dispenser. And the sign on it says, please, and, and then this next part is all in caps, do not use. And then we go back to regular capitalization. This machine, if you have not been trained, see Mike H, Alexis, Todd, or Carl for training, followed by the ever important exclamation mark. So our advice on this show is just go find Mike or Carl or one of those guys and they or can, Alexis or Alexis too. They'll set you up. Yes. That's it. End of the show. So I was thinking about in parenting and in teaching in higher ed is one of the few things that there really isn't a lot of training for. In fact, most of the time there's no mandatory in most institutions, there's not mandatory training for new faculty members And if there is some type of an orientation or a first year program, a lot of that doesn't really address teaching. There is a assumption in higher education that if you have an advanced degree, that you can effectively teach what it is that you know. And while that is sometimes true, the two don't necessarily correlate. And so the I suspect you are listening to the show because you want to get better at that and recognize that. Um, And so being able to uh, focus on getting better at the skill of teaching is an important one that we don't tend to spend a lot of time on in higher ed. 
Yeah, it kind of depends on your institution and where they decide to place their resources. And so there also can be an element too where we can get in our own way on this. We can start to make all kinds of excuses as to why we don't pursue more professional development of our own. It might be professional development related to our own teaching, the craft of teaching, or it might be something around our discipline. So Dave and I are going to go through some different excuses that we can all make in our lives hey, we don't have enough time, not enough resources in order to pursue further professional development. We're going to overcome those together and also open up the floor and invite you to make suggestions to each other as well. Cool. Let's get it. Let's get started. So the first thing that people tend to use as an excuse really for anything is there's not enough time. Yeah, and I think that uh, I know for sure I don't have enough time. I don't know about you, Bonnie, but we have a household where both of us work full time. We have two children under the age of three, and we live pretty busy lives, personally and professionally. And if I, uh, on the face of it, if I look and say, okay, do I really have time in my week to enhance my professional development? A lot of times the answer is no. And and I can't really figure out where I would necessarily find more space for something like that unless I really, really am intentional about something else that wouldn't happen. There's also kind of this in our society today, a glorification of busy. So when we talk about there not being enough time, that's the that's the perfect thing. I kind of did this experiment a couple of summers ago where actually we some people knew this about our lives and others didn't, but we were actually trying to get pregnant. It took Dave and I seven years and, and many medical adventures along the way until we did. But during those those summers, I would really try to cultivate a time that wasn't stressful. And I, I teach at a traditional year college. So it's a, it's a nine month contract typically that we're on. And I start in August and go until May. And so I had those months where there wasn't a lot on the calendar necessarily. It always feels like it at the time, but I kind of would experiment with people. They, oh, you're so busy. And I, well, actually I don't have really that much going on. And it was, it was funny how people just really want us all to be, we're supposed to be busy. Mm. We're supposed to have a lot going on. It's not socially acceptable to say, hey, I'm taking a season for relaxing a bit. So it was an interesting experiment. So when we don't have enough time for professional development, here are a couple suggestions because a lot of us do have a lot on our plate. So one is take that time when you're in the car already driving. And so unless you walk to your institution, which in fact, even if you still walk to your institution, you can use these resources. And one is podcasts. And Dave and I both love listening to podcasts. In fact, I will link to in the show notes, a link to my favorite podcast that I like to listen to. I have those up on an earlier blog post, so I will link to those. What a wonderful thing to be able to be feeding your mind not just with content specific things. I do listen to NPR's, it's actually APM's, American Public Media's Marketplace is a great resource for people that teach in business or in marketing. And it's, I mean, it's phenomenal, but it isn't even to me necessarily about the subject matter, but sometimes the way stories are told. I also love This American Life with Ira Glass and they, it's just sometimes the way they'll craft a story will really inspire me something about my teaching. I think podcasts are really a great way to utilize some of that downtime that you might be commuting or even working out 
uh, the kinds of things that are already part of our week and utilize that for some a little bit of professional development or even just some entertainment uh, time because you know we've you and I are both podcast producers so we we probably listen to podcasts more often than the average person but the great thing is is that podcasts are becoming more and more popular there's so many choices out there now on iTunes and Stitcher and tons of great shows that you can really learn a lot from while you're doing other things in your life that you would all that would be kind of downtime anyway and speaking of downtime and and doing kind of the same thing as podcasts but a little bit different Dave you've been doing some listening to audiobooks I have and I've really gone back and forth with audiobooks Bonnie and you know this um because I I struggle with audiobooks and that I do really like to listen versus read I find it easier to make time to listen but I also find it harder to take notes and I really like to have some record of what I'm listening to but I've I've found that I I was not doing any reading at all because with young kids at home and all that it just I I just was having a really hard time making time to read but it turns out that there's always laundry to be done and baby formula to be made and dishes to be uh, done after the kids go to bed. And that time is time that I'm kind of, I, I see that as downtime. Like I'm, I'm doing other things that require my attention, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily mentally involved in them. So I've now used that time for listening to audiobooks and I got an audi- audible.com subscription and I get one book a month, and I'm actually doing better than that. I'm oftentimes purchasing a second book in the month because I'm getting through a, a book every two to three weeks. And I found that that has really helped me to generate new ideas, writing a blog, um, ideas that I've used in our business and consulting work has really, really been helpful over the last few months since I've been doing that. And I just take notes. Like if there's something that I find of significance, I've just disciplined myself to stop for a second and jot down a note on my iPhone um, and that way I don't have to worry about the highlighting and things I would normally do if I was reading a book on paper or a digital version. And in the last, say, six months, or actually maybe ever, what's the one audiobook that really has stand, stood out to you or a, a an audiobook that's really stood out to you as, wow, that was just a great thing to listen to? I really liked Adam Grant's book, Give and Take. Adam is a professor at Wharton, and it's a book about the three different types of people in the world, the givers, the matchers, and the takers. Fascinating book on human behavior and how we all make choices on how we give to others and sometimes get taken advantage of in those choices and how people are successful based on the choices they make around that. And then I'm reading a book right now called Essentialism by Greg McEwen, I think is how to say his last name fascinating book too on just what how to focus on what's most important in your life and in your work and i do think that there are really strong while they're not higher ed books per se uh, they're about people and success and focus and so a tremendous application to faculty in both of those books and i think both of them would be of real value to people and one last one around the not enough time excuse we might make is we always have time where we're waiting, whether it's waiting for a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment. And there's a great service called Pocket, which is among the many read it later services. So when you're going through reading different articles and maybe you're on the web or you're on some kind of an app, you can just send it to these services. And what they do is they they make it formatted to be much more readable. So it's it's it looks cleaner and, and is more 
easy on the eyes to read and you can tag them if you want to categorize them in some ways. I tend to keep everything over in delicious, which I've talked about in previous episodes, but I have a lot of articles that are stored up there in pocket, which if I'm around reading somewhere are, is just like a reading list of really great, interesting articles that aren't very time-based because I'm not great about always checking up on pocket. So it is, I do tend to send stories there that aren't really relevant. We just had a couple of Supreme Court cases come down this past week, and I wouldn't send necessarily articles there about those two cases because I want to read those things more currently, and it kind of goes out of my mind. But things that are good reads, that'll be good reads even a year from now is a great use for Pocket. And Instapaper is the other service that's kind of the big big uh, player in that space too. So Pocket and Instapaper are great for that kind of... Uh, that kind of reading and consumption on the go. So another excuse we can make is it's just too hard to keep up with it all. Dave talked about us having a couple of young children here. And then there's also just the fact that things are happening so quickly in all of our, our fields. How do you ever keep up with it all? And maybe you keep up with your field pretty well, but it makes it difficult then just to keep up with other stuff in life because you are so good about keeping up in your particular discipline. And so a couple of things that we can do around this is to subscribe to different news sources that we do want to keep up with, with a service called Feedly. That's F-E-E-D-L-Y, which will be in the show notes. You can go check out that service. And what it does is it lets us go to specific news sources. For example, I really got into the guy who is a famous statistician, the most famous statistician that I know of, Nate Silver. He was famous for being really good about predicting some sports outcomes and then to political outcomes. And now he's on a quest to find the nation's greatest burrito. So, he, I mean, he's got all kinds of research out there that's very important, I'm sure. Sports, politics, and burritos, huh? And so Nate Silver started his own blog. And I don't have any interest in sports at all whatsoever. So I didn't subscribe to that part of his feed. These are called, by the way, RSS feeds. Really simple syndication. And so I didn't subscribe to that part on Feedly. Instead, I subscribed to his political feed. And then there's one that's kind of life in general. I don't remember exactly what he calls it. But Feedly lets us take these different news sources and subscribe to them so we can keep up on things. And then you mark things as read and they disappear. And when new stuff comes out on those feeds, it shows up as new. And again, you can go through that process. Now, if it gets overwhelming and you go there one day and there's thousands of articles, you can mark all as read and zero everything out and start fresh. But it's just a way to have a funnel into all these different news sources that you might be interested in. It's kind of thinking about... um having things show up in your physical inbox like a magazine subscription versus having to go out on the web and see what's new on a site. So if you're subscribed on something like Feedly, every time they post something new that's in that category or that subscription you've uh, posted, it'll show right up in your reader on Feedly and there's lots of other services that connect with it. So it's a great way to keep up on things. And the one piece of advice I'd have for that, Bonnie, is not to go crazy on subscribing to tons of things because you'll end up not reading it. I, I try to keep my subscriptions pretty light down to 15 or 20 at the most. And that way I know I'll keep up with it and read the things that do come in. And Twitter is kind of like that too, except that its whole entire world is called 
a stream. Instead of a feed, it's called a stream. And so I think about that as if you were to go sit by a stream, you know that water has already passed you by (laughs) and it's gone and you're not going to be able to see the same exact water, but you can kind of dip your toe into the stream right then and see what's happening right now. So for me, Twitter, I follow, I try to keep it under 200. Ideally, it would be even closer to something like 30 if I actually wanted to keep up. But the fact of the matter is you just know you can't keep up. So you go and see what's happening right now. And I have found it incredible for the people that I do follow on that service, just the value that's out there. I had, I recently, I mentioned this, just finished off teaching a doctoral class and in a lot of these students were very resistant to technology. And it was fascinating to see when we ended There was not a person in the cohort who didn't say they love Twitter. So it's funny because what is, what is Twitter? Well, you're going to get out of Twitter, how, however good you are at cultivating who it is you want to follow. So if you've tried it before and you've thought, oh, this just isn't for me, it might be because you'd rather know what you've missed since the last time you came there. And that's why Feedly might be a better service for you. But it also might be that you just weren't following the right people because really there are tremendous professional development opportunities out there. Most of it has to do with who you have followed so you can see the kinds of links they're posting to their own blogs or different services. But there also sometimes are live chats for educators as well. And so you'll, you'll have what's called a hashtag where you put a pound sign followed by some either a word or some letters. At conferences, a lot of times they'll do this too. That's called the back channel where there's a conversation with more ideas brimming around whatever's happening at that particular event. So definitely check out Twitter for your professional development too. And one comment on Twitter, and I've tried using Twitter a bunch of different ways over the years. And um, I think that if you're going to use Twitter, I would start with following some real some people you respect in your field or people you're really interested in versus following a bunch of organizations. Uh, if you're going to follow organizations, I think RSS is a the, the feed leak kind of thing is a better way to do that mm-hmm. or because you'll get articles and all that. But I find that Twitter, uh, I tend to follow people. I, I find the people I'm interested in and I'm just curious of what they're talking about. Because if you follow just an organization, they're just going to post everything that they post. Whereas people I find tend to talk more about what's really interesting that's going on on the internet, what people are passing around as far as articles and blogs and all that. And I find that I enjoy Twitter a lot more than I used to because of that. And one of the things I'll do is I'll post some of the lists that I've created on Twitter. You can subscribe to other people's lists. And so I have a list called teaching in higher ed. And those are people who I consider to be experts about the field of teaching in higher ed or who do something around that topic that might be good for this show, for example. So you could subscribe to that list. I have writers from the Chronicle that I Chronicle of Higher Education that I subscribe to. And there's a few others that I'll post up there too that might be of interest to you if you just wanted a place to get started and a list to subscribe to. And they're not going to show up if you subscribe to one of my lists all those people aren't going to show up in those main lists of people you're following, but you can go just check it out and see what's going on just within that one realm. So it's kind of a nice way to dip your toe in somebody else's stream, but not have to commit to it being showing up in your main center stage. 
So the next excuse that some of us might make is that my discipline is so unique. A lot of the resources that we've talked about so far, maybe they're general. I actually think they're not. But if you're still not convinced and you still really are yearning for something specific to your discipline, then you might be interested in some of the resources available in some open courseware fronts, including Coursera is one that offers open courses. There's that belief that we should be extending those educational opportunities out so you could check out courses there. And also, Dave, you mentioned edX as another place we might go and find resources. It's another one of the the clearinghouses that's out, not a clearinghouse, maybe the wrong word, but for the massive, massive open online courses. Is mm-hmm. that the right? Uh, yes. Am I saying that right? Yes. And so there are a number of these uh, uh, associations now, Coursera and edX are probably the two biggest ones that I know of. And I think edX is associated with MIT. I should probably have looked that up before. Um, there's a couple of schools that have gotten together to do that. But what it is essentially is it's access to these online, open online courses and MOOCs that allow you to enroll and attend lectures from the top faculty at some of the top institutions and attend courses. And you can get as involved or uninvolved as you want to but it opens up a lot of opportunities for knowledge. And I think that's one of the great things about the internet is that we all have access to knowledge and many of them, if not most of them are free mm-hmm. still. And because universities are doing research um, using this online technology, of course. So it's a, it, it's a great resource if you're looking for something really specific around either your field or maybe a related field uh, to just build your own skill set on. Another excuse is nothing I've tried before has worked. And you might be in that place where you think, I am trying to get better at teaching. I'm still not quite where I want to be. And I'm just frustrated with feeling like a plateau or some kind of a barrier there. Consider filming or recording yourself teaching. To me, early, early in my teaching, long before teaching in higher ed, but just teaching in general, there was nothing as powerful as hearing me teach. I used to teach at a, early on in my career, I did computer training and their classrooms, they had built in microphones. I laugh because this would certainly not be really looked upon favorably by most faculty today. That would not fly. But this was a privately held company that could do this. And so they would record, audio record our classes and then give us, the, this is way back when, give us the cassette tapes for us to take home and be able to listen to. And it transformed my teaching completely to be able to hear some of the filler word phrases I would use and some of the patterns I had that just were not effective. And also to reinforce the good too. It is miserable, especially back then, it was absolutely miserable listening to myself. Oh, it was so difficult to do. But boy, the learning that came from it priceless. So I would say, and of course, if you are going to record in a classroom out of respect for your students, you do want to let them know that you're doing it. You don't necessarily have to tell them why you're doing it in the sense of, I don't think I'm good at teaching at all. <laughs> so you, you, it's probably not, probably the, way to position not the way to go, but for all of us to be modeling that for our students, many of us ask our students to do the same for us. So we would want to be setting that good example for them and tell them that it's being recorded, but it can be a wonderful learning experience too. Uh, one question, you mentioned it transform your, transformed your teaching. What's one thing that was different once you started listening to yourself on tape that you changed? I could hear myself saying the same phrases repetitively 
And so at the time it was right now, right now we're going to go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead right now and do this. And so it was miserable to hear that phrase being repeated. Some people say the ums, ahs, okays, so's. So those filler words. But for me, I had been trained not to say um, but a lot of times when we're trained, but then it can get replaced by something else until we learn to replace it, by the way, with silence is, is really when you're truly cured because <laughs> what, where those are coming out are what to do with that silence and boy, silence is golden. So just let the silence be there. But I had to, I had replaced the ums with something else. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So the next excuse, my university doesn't dedicate the resources for professional development. And that's a reality for a lot of us, of course. And, and as there has been some financial difficulties with different institutions. Boy, it really becomes a question. I mean, which re- which institution do you know that has plenty of resources for everyone and every program that that that's out there? So as resources get tight or or get prioritized, sometimes professional development doesn't come at the top of the list. So in those cases, there there are many resources out there, including faculty development centers at other universities. And I'll just mention one, and I'll I'll link to this in the show notes. USC has a fabulous, I believe it's Center for Teaching and Learning, but I'll link to it. And so there's so much inspiration there, broadly speaking, and lots of resources, but they have a whole video series too. They've had some phenomenal speakers come through their institution. So I'll link to those and they would be great for people that are looking to improve their teaching. And hey, if you don't have something at your institution, formally speaking, and maybe you're not finding what you're looking at other institutions, start something up grassroots. And at the institution where I teach, we we didn't have really a lot of attention happening around educational technologies. And I'm as you can tell by listening to this show, I'm really hungry for learning about that all the time. And so we just started our own group. And we actually, there were, it was so popular that we started two groups. And so t- twice or two different groups were meeting once a month and we'd get together and we'd do a, a quick round robin and say, what's one cool ed tech tool that you're finding or what's a frustration or what's kind of a dream you wish you could do with ed tech that you haven't found a good tool for yet. And then we'd have one extended demo every time where, where someone would share something they were doing around that. So that's another great one too. Cool. This is the time in the show where we each share some kind of an ed tech find. And so Dave, why don't you go ahead and start with yours? I would love to. I have been using a, I have an iPad and I've been using a stylus called the Jot Pro Stylus. So before I tell you about it, I should mention I tried a stylus back when iPads first came out, I don't know, four or five years ago. And I really found that it, at the time, the technology just wasn't there for that, that the stylus I tried at the time to really be useful. Uh, things have really changed in the last few years, uh, especially in the last year or two. And the styli, would that be the plural, correct plural? I have no idea. Someone who's an English professor can write in and tell us. Um, the the st- styli have gotten better, much, much better. And the Jot Pro stylus, uh, while not inexpensive, really does a lot. So you can use it on a whole bunch of apps. It really is. It's touch sensitive, so you can make bigger, stronger marks or less strong marks, depending on how you push on it. It links with Bluetooth. And it really also reduces or almost completely eliminates the marks you get if you're, you know, as your wrist is on the on the device. And so there's a number of apps that work with it. And I have found when I do want to write or mark up a document, I know you've used some of this for grading already, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't done it for grading yet, but just when I want to hand write something, but I need to send it digitally for whatever reason, 
it is fabulous for being able to do that. And so I'd uh, encourage folks to check it out, Jot Pro Stylus. And if you do get a stylus and you would like an EdTech tool to go along with it, iAnnotate is a great tool that will allow you to annotate PDFs or Word documents or lots of other kinds of files. And you could open them up and write. You can highlight on it, all different kinds of highlighters. You can write on it like you were writing on a page. And the stylus is a great accompaniment to that. And what I love is you can add audio notes too. And it'll sync through different services. I sync it back to my Dropbox and then send the students the link to the file on the Dropbox. And they're able to download it and see my feedback and hear my feedback too. Speaking of ed tech tools, you have something that is hot off the presses that people could access for information on technology as as far as resources. Yes, I'm looking for people to sign up for the Teaching in Higher Ed's weekly update. And if you go to our website, teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe, you can sign up for that weekly update. And by doing that, you'll receive a free ed tech essentials guide. And it is fabulous as far as resources and tools. We've just scratch the surface on some of those tools, but there's uh, 19 tools in there that will really get you started on your educational technology journey. So, And you also get the show notes for every episode over email once a week. Yeah, which I think is handy. I do that with your show, Dave, and I love getting that in my inbox and being able to follow up on the links without having to remember to go back and find the show notes. But if you want to go to the show notes and leave comments, that's at teachinginhighered.com slash five for today's episode. And again, if you want to get that guide, teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. And uh, I guess we'll be back again next week, huh? Or you'll be back, maybe um, with a different guest, huh? <laughs> No, you'll be back again next oh, week. Oh, I'm back. I'm back again <laughs> next week. <laughs> See you then. <laughs>